Luke's Gospel then, and the chapter 2. And our texts tonight are the words found in verses 34 to 35. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. We consider tonight Simeon's word to Mary. Simeon's word to Mary. Simeon, as we have seen, has blessed God in the verse 28. He took him up in his arms and blessed God. And now we read in our text, and Simeon blessed them. That is, Joseph and Mary. Not Mary only, but Joseph and Mary. For she did not alone marvel, as we saw this morning. He also marveled. The both of them marveled, and the both of them are blessed. They're blessed by God, and they're blessed by this old godly man who prays for the blessing of the Lord upon them. Both parents are heirs together of the grace of salvation in this child, in Mary's child. Both are to love and to guard and to rear this child. Both of them, not just Mary, but also Joseph, and they need the blessing of God. And so they have the prayers of this old saint. But while Simeon blesses them both, he only speaks to Mary. Because it says there, he blessed them both and said unto Mary. So it's a special word for Mary. And that's the word that we are considering tonight. And there are three thoughts that I want to draw out of this word that Mary receives. It is, first of all, a word about Mary herself. It is, secondly, a word about the Lord Jesus. And then thirdly, it is also a word about all who will ever meet Jesus or who will ever hear tell of him. It's a word for them as well. First of all, then, it is a word to Mary, about Mary, and for Mary. So it's about her. Because Mary's going to need this word. That's why he speaks it to her. She especially is going to need it. The virgin mother gets her own personal revelation, for she's going to need it. Now, Joseph hears it also. We know that. And no doubt he was edified by it as well. But Mary is the one who's really going to need it. She is given this to store it up in her heart for the day to come. Because she's going to have a terrible grief. And she's going to go through terrible experiences. 
And she's given this word to keep, to ponder, to draw from in that time of trouble, and to store it up in her heart. You see, Simeon has seen into the distance as he's looked into the faith of the Lord Jesus, and as the Holy Spirit has infilled him and given him utterance, he, along with that utterance that he received, received foresight. He saw into the distance. He could see the future as he looked into the face of Jesus Christ. And there's not only this glorious future that he sung about, the light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. There's not only that glorious future that he saw, but there is also a nearer future. He sees the sufferings of Christ as well. As well as the distant glory down through the ages, he sees the near approaching of the sufferings of Christ. And he feels their coming. And he sees the coming pangs, not only of Jesus, but he sees the coming pangs of this mother. And he says to her there in verse 35, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. And so he sees that coming. That's how he puts it in verse 35. A sword. You're going to feel a sword panging into your soul. And I think our translators are quite right whenever they put the, this expression in brackets, it's kind of thrown in by the old prophet to reveal why he is telling her this. Why she is going to need this word. Because a sword is going to pierce through your soul, Mary. And he says that with compassion. And he tells her that with feeling. He is forewarning her. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And the Lord is always doing that to his people in his goodness. The Lord is always warning us of troubles that are coming. You remember how he said to the disciples in the world, you'll have tribulation? He doesn't deceive us or delude us. He tells us about the persecution and the tribulation that the saints will experience in this world. He tells us about the fiery trials. And to forewarn us is to forearm us and to prepare us to brace. And so we have the word to lay up in store for those trials when they come. And so we can pray for grace also that we will get grace for those trials when they arrive. And that's what's happening, Mary. The poor soul is going to have her own cross to bear. I think Joseph is not addressed here. Not because he doesn't love the child. Oh, he loves the child. This adopted child. This child he loves. But because he will not experience the same pangs as Mary. When the Lord Jesus is an adult, we read no more of Joseph. After Jesus was 12 years of age, Joseph goes off the scene. So I think the reason is that he dies before Christ begins his personal, his public ministry. I think that's what's happened. Whenever Mary's at the cross, she's on her own. 
and she's put into the arms and the hands of John to look after her. Her husband is deceased. Joseph is long dead. It may have been that he was much older than Mary. So Joseph's not going to need this word. Joseph's going to die before the real heart pangs come, before the cross. But Mary's going to need it. She's really going to need it because, you see, she's going to be at the cross. Now, it is true that the flight into Egypt that the both of them had to make was a foretaste of the pangs. But they were nothing like the pangs of Calvary. Whenever the Mary was there and she stood and she seen her son crucified in agony and shame, her heart was pierced. Her pain was intense. It was severe. How does the, the old prophet describe it? A sword. It's not a literal sword. The prophets, when they spoke, weren't expecting literal fulfillments. They always spoke in poetic and metaphorical language. But it'll be like that. A sword as a sword going into the heart. So the, the, um, the emotional and the mental stress and the agony of seeing her son rejected and despised and abused and mistreated and crucified and slain. It'd be like a sword, not just going into the heart, but into the soul, into the mind and into the heart, into the emotional and mental life. Her heart will be broken at the cross. And so it will pierce deep, very deep, deeper even than physical depth into the soul, her very soul, to be pierced. And that's why this message is given to her. The old prophet sees that. In the sufferings and agony of Christ, he sees the pangs of Mary. And so this message is for her, It's about her, but it is especially for her when that time of agony arrives. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Hers is not the only soul to be pierced. Also, she will feel it, but there's someone else who has a soul to be pierced as well. And to feel a far greater sword, a far more powerful sword, even the sword of divine wrath in his heart, her child, Jesus. And so there's a message here for Mary. But secondly, as we've already hinted at, there's a message here about the Savior. This really is the heart of the word. And while I give it the second point, it is really the central point and the main point. This message to Mary is about the child. This child is set. This child is set for the falling and rising again of many in Israel. And so Mary's pangs are going to be due To what happens this child? And so the message is about Christ. She will have to bear the cross because her child 
bears a heavier cross. Because of what she's going to have to endure, this rejection of Christ, this despising of Jesus by the people of Israel, she will feel these pangs. And especially she will feel them, as I said, at the cross. So Simeon here isn't just speaking about Mary's sufferings. He's speaking mainly about Christ's sufferings. And Mary, of course, will feel that. And so there is the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And while there are two suffering in the text, Mary and this holy child in days to come, I want you to know that Mary's sufferings are not atoning. And they are not mediatorial. They have nothing to do with our salvation. Her sufferings are no different from the sufferings of any of the other saints. All of us have to suffer for Christ. All of us suffer in bearing his name somewhere or other. But none of our sufferings are atoning. And none of our sufferings have to deal with sin. We know that. And, and Mary says, the pangs that she'll feel in her soul are not atoning. They have nothing to do with salvation. And we have to get that out of our head. And we never have to let such a heresy enter into our thoughts. But she is a mother. And she will fail. And old Simeon has compassion. But it's Christ's sufferings which are at the heart of this text. It's not all about glory and the light to the Gentiles. Yes, that's future. That's wonderful. Simeon sees that. But in the short term, he sees also that this child's going to suffer that he's holding in his arms. The suffering and the glory that follows, Simeon sees it all very clearly. And so he holds a Savior that he accepts. He holds a Savior that he embraces. He holds a Savior that he loves. But he also knows that many will reject him that many will not embrace him, that many will not receive him as he receives him. He knows that this child will be an offense to many and not a savior. And that's what he means here by this word when he says, he'll be a sound which shall be spoken against. And that's the expression I draw your attention to now. The child that he holds is for a saint that shall be spoken against. He's going to be spoken against. He's going to be a saying. Now, let us think about that word saying, first of all. The the saying here is a wonder. A saying is often in the Bible a miracle, signs and wonders and all of that. And Simeon holds, as we saw this morning, The greatest wonder of all, the greatest miracle of all, the greatest sign that God could ever give, the incarnation, that's the greatest wonder and the greatest sign of all. And now he's he's going from the idea, he's going to this idea of him being a wonder, a sign. And the Bible teaches that not only is Christ a sign, but actually the Bible teaches that Christians are signs as well to an ungodly world. Because every one of us Christians is a miracle. And we are a sign to the ungodly world out there as well. But especially Christ. And you remember Christ, he said in in the spirit of prophecy, he says, Behold, I 
and the children whom the Lord hath given unto me are for signs and for wonders in Israel. Yes, his children are for signs, but especially he is for a sign. Simeon knows his Bible, you know. He's especially steeped in the prophecy of Isaiah, and he says, this child's a sign. I've read the book of Isaiah. He's a sign. He's a wonder. He's a miracle. God displays his power in Christ, and he has made him a sign, because the greatest miracle is the incarnation. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He knows his Bible. This is a sign. He's holding the sign. The virgin-born son. He knows who he's holding, as we've seen. Emmanuel. He's holding Emmanuel, God with us. He knows it. This sign. But he's a sign that's not going to be embraced by everybody. What does he say? He's a sign that's going to be spoken about. Not about, actually. It's against. This this verb is very strong. It It suggests to speak against, to contradict, to oppose, to refuse. To be nasty too, to be nasty about, he's going to be the same. You remember how the, the, the angel said to the, the shepherds, This shall be the sign unto you. You'll find the babe, and he'll be wrapped in a, in a swaddling bands and lying in a manger. He's the same. And everybody should embrace him as Simeon embraces him, but no. People are going to speak against him. People are going to reject him. People are going to oppose him. People are going to say, he's a glutton. He's a wine-bibber. He's a friend of publicans and sinners. He's going to be slandered and run down and attacked and maligned. He's going to be treated badly. He's going to be the song of the drunkards. He's going to be rejected by the religious elite. By all the self-righteous boys at the top, he's going to be rejected, despised and rejected of men. They're going to say you're a devil. They're going to say you're a Samaritan. They're going to say things like that. And the high priest even is going to rend his clothes and he's going to accuse him of blasphemy. And And people are going to spit on him in the high priest's presence. And they're going to buffet him. And they're going to smack him with the palms of their hands. And the high high priest is going to sit there silent and let it happen. He'll be spoken against. And they're all going to cry out in Jerusalem one day, Crucify him! Take him away! Pilate, what will they do with your king? What will they do with him? Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! He'll be spoken against. Simeon sees it. And he sees how this mother will feel when it all happens. The sword will go through your heart, Mary, too. But it's Christ, the one who has all the suffering and the agony. As he said on the cross, I'm a worm and no man. I'm a reproach of men. I'm despised of the people. All they that see me, they laugh me to scorn. The mock me, they shoot out the lip, they shake the head. They say he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him. He said he was the son of God. If he's the son of God, let him come down from the cross. They'll speak against him. Simeon sees it. 
this wonder, this miracle, this incarnate Christ, the Son of God, spoken against, against. And so he's despised and rejected of men, and Mary will witness all of that and feel that, and she will bear unique pangs because she gave birth to this Christ. And we honor her for the dignity with which she bore those pangs and for the fortitude that she was able to have only through the Word of God, mind you, such as this word of Simeon, which was in her heart. She pondered these things all her life. And now is the time to be drawing forth strength from the Word. And it was for her. And I believe she got strength from this Word. And Joseph didn't need it. Simeon saw that Joseph wasn't going to be there. But Mary needs it. And brethren and sisters, when we go through trials, and when a sword goes through our heart, And when we are rejected, and when we feel the hurt, we will need the Word to strengthen us, to uphold us, and to sustain us, as it did Mary. And so lay the Word richly in your heart for the time of trouble to come. And when you have health and strength, be always under the Word, hearing the Word, and receiving it, and pondering it, so that when your time comes to feel that sword... You have the strength of the Word. And so the message of the newborn babe is this. There is the glory to come, but he has to suffer first and be rejected of men. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He is our salvation and he is our light. But he must first of all die for our sins. Simeon sees both. He sees the salvation and the light that he has so eloquently sung about. But he also sees what there must be to bring those things to us Gentile sinners. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is more here as well, though. Not just the suffering, there is an encouragement too in the text. Because it's not all negative. He says here, He set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. Now, this verb, um, set, is interesting. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. Now this verb, as I said, it it usually, it quite often is used of a child being led. For example, it's already used in chapter 2, verse 16. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying, set in a manger. And Simeon's taking the same verb. And he's saying, this child is led. He's set. How did, how did he get into the manger? Well, you know, Joseph took him. 
after the birth, or, or Mary took him, or whatever. He was taken, and he was laid. He was laid in the manger. And now he's lying in Simeon's arms. He's lying in Simeon's arms, just like he was lying in the manger. And as he looks into the, the mother's face, and as he's holding the lying child, he says, this, this child is laid. He's laid. But he's not just led by Joseph in my arms. That's not what he's talking about. He's led by the Father. He's led somewhere by the Father. He's led for some reason. He's destined for some purpose. Because he's been led by the Father for this destined purpose. And what is that? The falling and the rising of many in Israel. That's why he's led by the Father. And so clearly there's a play here on the verb and the idea of a child being led. And this child is led by the hand of the Father for a determined end. The fall and the rising again of many in Israel. Now the question is, and there's a difference of interpretation over the meaning of that expression. The question is, is this all good? The fall and the rising again. Is this the same people described? They're going to fall and they're going to rise again because of this child. Is it all good? Is it all positive? Or is it a negative aspect to it? Uh, some will fall. Many will fall. But there'll be many who will rise. And so the emphasis isn't upon the again there. So it can be taken either way. And, and different commentators take it. Either way, in the first sense, it means that many will respond to Jesus Christ in, in a way that will be rejection. They'll stumble at him. In the negative sense, they'll fall. They'll, they'll not rise. They're going to fall. They're going to stumble. They're going to perish. This child will be an offense to them. This child will be a stumbling block to them. And they'll, they'll be an offense. But then, as I said, it, it may be the sense that He's led to bring, to bring down sinners, to humble sinners, to make sinners broken and contrite, so that he may raise them up again in his grace and salvation. And I actually take it in that latter point. And so I, I take it as all positive. This child is set for the falling and the rising again of those many. And that's all positive. And then the negative is, and the sign that shall be spoken against. And that's the negative part. So I take it in that, that sense. But it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, both are true. Whatever school of interpretation you take to, I think there's no harm in fact, actual fact, accepting both interpretations because both are true. And Caiaphas pictures the first interpretation. The religious leaders who rejected Christ, the Jews to whom he was a stumbling block. As Paul said, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. And they despise him and reject him and perish in unbelief. But I think in the positive sense, it describes Peter and Paul and the apostles. You remember how Peter said, Oh Lord, depart from me. I'm a wicked man. I've seen your person. Who could still the storm like that? Who could bring forth the fishes like that? Oh Lord, I'm just not worthy. He's been brought low to be risen. Or like the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, wasn't he a proud, arrogant man? But the Lord led him low. Whenever Christ was led before him, 
He was brought low. He even fell prostrate on the Damascus road. He was he fell. He fell, but he rose again. He rose again as one of the many in Israel by that Jesus Christ who was led by the Father. And so there are illustrations for both schools of interpretations. But it is essentially a word that sets forth the glory of Christ, but it has the sufferings of Christ as well. So it's a word about Christ. But then lastly, and we'll not be as long on this, it is a word also about all whoever shall meet this led child or shall ever hear about this led child or who shall ever be encountered about this led child. Because it says at the end there that this child, he is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel for a sign which shall be spoken against and then the Simeon goes off in a wee, ton, a wee, wee diversion there, just for Mary. And then he says at the end, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So it's not the sufferings of Mary that's going to reveal the thoughts of many hearts, which is why our translators have put it in the brackets. That's just a wee thing alone for Mary. But the thoughts of many hearts are revealed when this child is led. Let me tell you this, men and women. Jesus Christ will expose your hearts. He will expose your hearts. You will be seen what you are in relation to your attitude to Jesus Christ. This child is led. He's led. Where's he led? Before the face of all people, as we've seen. He's led before all people. He's not just led here in Simeon's arms in the temple. No, he's led before the Gentiles. He's led before you tonight. He's been led before you for years and years in this house. He's been led before you in the preaching of the gospel. He's been led before you in the word of God, which you take up and read, I trust, every day. He's led before you. He's led before you. The Father's always laying this child before you. He's led before the Jews and the religious leaders and the high priests. And what did they do? Away with them. We don't want them. Their hearts were revealed. Christ rejecting hearts. That's what they had. Christ rejecting hearts. Their hearts were exposed. And as he's led before you in the preaching of the gospel, what's your heart like? How's your heart manifesting itself? You remember how at the cross it was all seen, how all the hearts were exposed and revealed? Take the two thieves. The one on one side rejecting him, his heart was exposed. He was a Christ rejecter. But then at the other side, his heart was exposed as well. And he was a Christ receiver. Lord, remember me. Remember me. And so one spoke against them, but one was brought low and humbled and raised to paradise and salvation. It's illustrated at the cross. And there are others there as well who illustrate that as well, the Romans and the Jews who who are maligning him and mocking him. But standing away, away in the distance, there's a little band of women. And they love him. And their hearts are exposed. Oh, he's our Christ. He's our Jesus whom we love and follow. 
And we weep tears because he's dying there on the cross. And so their hearts are exposed. They've been humbled and brought low, but they're risen and exalted to glory and salvation. But these other crowds, they're Christ-rejecting hearts. And as the Lord Jesus has presented before you in the gospel, how's your heart heart manifest in itself? Do you receive him and embrace him? Have you been humbled by him and brought low for your sins? Have you come as a penitent sinner and he's lifted you? Love lifted me. Yes, it was love. I'm a vile sinner. But he humbled me and he broke me and he melted me and he convicted me of my sin. And he discovered I was a sinner and I embraced him and he lifted me. Love lifted me. He raised me up. He raised me up. He set me in the heavenlies. I know him now. I have fellowship with him now. Are you a Christ rejecter? And you have nothing to do with him? And you'll go home the night and you never think about him again the next week? How is your heart exposed? As Christ is led before you in the gospel. And sinner he is. He's led before you tonight. As clearly he says in Simeon's arms, he's in, he's in the cradle of Holy Scripture. And you sinner, he's being led before you tonight. Will you take him? Will you take him up? Will you show you that you have a heart that accepts Christ? Or will you reject him and speak against him? Where do you stand with Christ? And so I say unto you, be wise and embrace him and receive him and be humble for your sins and come to him and let him lift you up and raise you up in his saving grace. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved.